All right. Um, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, guys, first, I want to apologize. I know I haven't been doing as many podcasts as I usually do and posting as much as I'd like on social media, but I got to be honest, this indoor season is killing me, man. <laughs> Between all the meets and practices, um, you know, I just, I'm super exhausted, but I, I promise once uh, it kind of slows down, I'm going to pick it back up. Um, if you're interested, you have any questions, of course, email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Um, you can check us out on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting, and we also have uh, Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat. Um, Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, today we have a super awesome guest. Uh, really excited, um, Chris Chapel of UCS. Um, I'm going to just let Chris kind of introduce himself. Um, for those of you that don't know, the Chapel family has been involved in the pole vault forever. Um, and the stories I've heard from these guys are amazing um, and have definitely helped me. Uh, you know, as a coach. Um, in fact, I remember one time talking to Chris, I don't even know if he remembers this, but I was kind of getting frustrated in my coaching career. And I was like, you know, Chris, like, I just must not be a good coach. Like, if I don't get someone to USA's in the next couple of years, I'm quitting. <laughs> and uh, you talked me off the ledge. Do you remember that day? <laughs> I don't, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, you had told me at that point, you're like, listen, like, don't judge yourself so harshly. You're like, Bronco, you know, you coach a club, you coach college, you've been doing well here. He, he, and you told me, you're like, look, a lot of people even get people to uh, the Olympics at any event. Some of them are just happen to be the team coach. You know, it's like they're not necessarily experts in the pole vault, you know. So that, that made me feel, uh, you know, uh, a lot better. Um, but, yeah, why, why don't you introduce your, yourself and kind of your family to the audience. Like, tell us a little bit about the background, how you guys got started in pole vault and how you make, you know, the UCS polls. Um, yeah, so it's a long story, but... Um to kind of catch up on your story a little bit, I do remember bits and pieces now. And, uh, I think one of the things that's kind of funny about it is, is that I think a lot of people think, you know, like, Oh, this Holy grail of the Olympic games or of us championships or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's far more important what you do on a day to day for the kids that come to the club. And, you know, I, I don't know how many you have in your club now, but I'm sure in your coaching career, it's been hundreds and hundreds of kids that have had yeah. an opportunity to do something that they may not otherwise have. And I think mm -hmm. that's way more important than getting one athlete to the Olympic stage or whatever, you know I mean? For sure. But at the same time too, it, it comes down to what, what's fulfilling for you. And, um, you know, to tell a little bit about me, um, what's fulfilling to us is to see that happen is to see people using a product that we produce to achieve dreams and goals that, that are extraordinary. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the Olympics is one thing, but then there's there's also the opportunity that kids have as an extracurricular activity to um, engage in, in an educational experience through sport and learn lessons through the sport of pole vaulting that can carry on through their lives. And I, I can't tell you how many people I have the opportunity to meet just maybe randomly on an airplane yeah. or whatever who are like, oh, man, I pole vaulted and you know, this or that. And then even more so when you get to sit down and talk to people within the pole vault community who pole vaulted and it gave them an opportunity to maybe uh, pursue a career or an education that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Um, and, and for me, that's, what's the most fulfilling thing about what we do. And I think it's the same way for my dad and it was the same way for my grandfather. Um, and that's where my story is, is, and starts is with my grandfather. He, um, 
he was really involved in the development of the fiberglass vaulting pole. Mm-hmm. He partnered with uh, the inventor of the fiberglass vaulting pole, um, and they built a business together. And then my dad got involved, and then I got involved. Right, um, right. After that, um, that, I don't know if you want me to go into that, all the well, details. I mean, I, I just I think for our fans, like I, you know, it's so funny. Like uh, <laughs> even some some of my coaches who maybe just graduated college a couple of years ago, it's like some of the kids don't even know a song that's five years old. But maybe <laughs> for some people, it's hard to uh, you know kind of see that there was a time where people didn't have fiberglass like what was that like creating the fiberglass pole and i mean did they did they get any were were people opposed to it i mean like did they have to fight to get it in like what what was that like yeah it's really interesting question actually because it's um most recently uh don bragg passed away yeah yeah and um you know it was sad news uh to hear and the reason I bring it up in the context of your question is that he was the highest vaulter ever on a straight pole on metal. Yeah. So before fiberglass, it was bamboo, and then it was metal. Mostly um, there was a Swedish steel and then aluminum poles, mm-hmm. and then the fiberglass. And what, what did Don in, jump? I, I uh, kind of forget. 481 indoors and 480 outdoors. So a li- little so. over 16, right? Um, is that right? <clears throat> yeah. 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 Like, uh, I think it was... Did I get that right? Maybe it was 470. Because I think it was around 59 and a three quarters, I think, was the thing. Oh, okay. The thing. I'm going um, to just check. But he, so yeah, I mean, remarkable height. And the thing is funny is I was talking to my, my mom and my dad about this the other day because um, we're kind of developing this story to tell it more publicly and, and mm-hmm. kind of put it out into you know, social media and stuff just yeah. to, to kind of give this a very um, direct background of how the the pole was developed and all that kind of stuff. But but Don was a um, critic of the fiberglass vaulting pole. Yeah, I've I've heard some stories. <laughs> and and you know, I mean, he was a great vaulter on the straight pole, and I think it kind of was a a, a tipping point in his career where he was a little bit later in, in his career where. He, it didn't make a lot of sense for him to kind of relearn how to pull. Right, them. right, right. And I think at the time, a lot of people felt that was the, the thing. I mean, it was this new product and it was this new thing and it bent and it was totally different kind of a deal. Um, and it's funny because now, you know, living only through the fiberglass right, era, right, right. you know, I, I think you do it a lot. It's a lot of straight pole vaulting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To learn the proper mechanics of the pole vault. So... You know, had Don taken the time, he probably would have jumped much higher. You know, uh, right? Yeah, it's it's funny, and uh, just for everybody that's listening, so his PR was fifteen nine and a quarter. Yeah, I and it, it it, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, sixteen feet is four eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The first guy to jump sixteen feet was um, John Ulysses. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's really funny because, like I said, I was kind of going through this research and stuff, and and the night before I saw the news about. Don, I was reading an article in Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. and they were talking about this exact subject. And right. Don was like, oh, it's not really pole vaulting on fiberglass. You know, you take the athleticism out of it and yeah, all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, it was never, like, banned, but there was this friction that right. was like, well, is it legal? Is it not legal? Should it be an asterisk on the on the record books? You know, and that right, kind of right, thing. Right, 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 right. Because it was so... Uh, revolutionary at the time right and i i mean i think look definitely for someone like don bragg like you said where he's at the later stages of his career it's like yeah i just want to keep doing my thing i don't want to have to reinvent the wheel now (laughs) um and yeah i could definitely see how you know 
I mean, looking at pictures of Don, he was a huge guy. Like, he looked very athletic. And it's like, I'm sure if he saw a little guy jump a little higher than him on fiberglass, he gets pissed off because he's like, <laughs> I could probably snap this guy in half. I can't believe I just lost to him. But, um, yeah, I, and, and it's amazing how full circle it has come because I think if you do teach straight pole in the beginning, it's so advantageous for your kids because now they actually like know how to pole vault. They're not just spending all this time trying to bend a pole, which I, th- I think is very counterproductive, especially if you have smaller, younger athletes. It's like, come on, if you have a five foot tall girl who weighs a hundred pounds, I mean, yeah, you could spend a lot of time trying to get her to bend a pole, but if you kind of just get her straight pulling in the beginning, she's going to learn the fundamentals. And as she gets older and stronger and faster, I mean, I, I you know, I was, I always feel like, you know, I go back to like quotes from like Bupka where it's like, you know, your speed and your mass will bend the pole, you know? And I think about it that way. Funny you bring him up because I was just thinking as you're talking about that, he used to say something that I thought was pretty funny. He said, you know, when when you straight pull, if you don't do it properly, the pull hurts you. Yeah. It's like, and it was this, it, th- there's a difference between bending a pole and, and pole vaulting mm-hmm. on a pole that bends. Right, right, right. And so to your point, you know, um, there's fundamentals in the pole vault that that have to be achieved uh, in order to, to land safely in the pit, to move the pole to vertical, uh, and certain things that if you're only concerned about bending the pole, you may forget those fundamental elements. Right. Um, where your focus, you know, really needs to shift into... How's the pole moving into the pit, whether it's right. or not? Right, right, right. Um, and I think that can be missed sometimes or um, maybe confused when the pole is bending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, a straight pole kind of um, really helps simplify the event. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, if you can simplify a very complex mechanism, you're going to be successful, whether it's a physics problem or the pole vault or... You know. Right, and and I feel like for whether it's beginner athletes or even beginner coaches, by teaching people with straight pull, even as a coach, you kind of get to see some things before you add that variable of the pole bend. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like if right away you jump into like let's try to get this pole to bend, you're kind of looking at a variable that's kind of a later layer, you know, and it might confuse you as a coach. You know what I mean? You start chasing something that's not as important, and kind of something I want to get to in in a second. But it's like everybody, I, I feel like a lot or not everybody, but a lot of people tend to start to stare at how the pole is bending instead of what the athlete is doing, you know? And so for me, it's like, you got to start out with the athlete first. Then once you get a little bit deeper, you know, with that athlete and they, they're proficient. Now you can maybe start to see how the pole is reacting when they do certain things. and, And that starts to become more important. But when you're talking about a beginner coach working with beginner athletes, it's like, you got to focus on the kid first. Like the athlete has to do certain things and then, you know, things will start to happen in the vault, you know, and it keeps it much simpler. Like, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, to me, the point is, is that the, the pole bending is a byproduct of, of what's happening with the jump, with the athlete's technique, with the run, the takeoff, the other elements, the, the pole bending part of it is, is, that's not that's not the goal, right? That's just a that's just a result of what happens. Right, it's, it's like a byproduct of yeah of the other el- elements. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. 
Yeah, no, I, I exactly. And I, and I think a lot of times people, like I always use just jumping off the ground. You know, everybody talks about a penultimate step and people focus so much on that drive knee. And it's like, well, did you have a good penultimate step? Did you actually set up and jump up? Because that's, I feel like the drive knee is a byproduct of good jumping mechanics. You know, you, you can then add more to that drive knee and start to focus on it. If now those last two steps were done properly and they're actually jumping up, you can tell someone to squeeze their drive knee. But it's like people go to the byproduct before they go, go to what yeah. was the the steps beforehand you know sure yeah i mean i i think you can apply it to a lot of different things you know it's like well what are you what are you trying to achieve what's the goal here mm-hmm. are you are you trying to lift your knee as high as possible or are you trying to move your your body you know <laughs> through, the, through air. the air yeah yeah so like j- just because take the pull out of it completely like a long jumper mm-hmm. you know you see a long jumper come off the board and a lot of times their their lead leg is going to be driving mm-hmm. forward right but they're not they're not trying to drive it forward like right. when michael jordan dunked a basketball he didn't try to drive his knees forward right. he tried to dunk the basketball right right and and that you know that cycle of the leg you know the the heel recovery and the 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 drive knee moving forward wasn't wasn't a mechanism that they were they're trying to drive their knee forward they're trying to jump as far as they, they can and project right. their body Forward, you know, and the same mm-hmm. thing, you know, when you when you have a really good takeoff, or you see an athlete with a really good, moving over the takeoff really well, their if it's a right hander, their left leg and hip will be really f- extended behind them. Right. They're not trying to push it back there. It, that's just what happens when you try to launch your body forward off of your right. left leg. Right. Yeah. I um, I'm sure you know Lane Lore. He oh, coaches yeah. at WashU. He was an 188 vaulter. Like he, we were talking one day on the phone, and he's like, "Yeah." He goes, "If I show you still pictures of some athletes I get, he goes, it looks beautiful. Except when you watch them actually moving, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So it's like just trying to achieve that picture is is not enough. It's about movement and uh, just so everybody knows too. Why don't you, your, what's your lifetime best, Chris? Just so people know. <laughs> um, 17, nine and three quarters. I think yeah. Yeah. So, so, so be, 43. Yeah. So as we're talking about all this, just so you know, not only does, you know, Chris work at UCS and, and help make the polls and all that kind of stuff. He also jumped, you know, and I feel like that gives you a little bit added credibility, you know, I don't know. It, it might hurt me a little bit. <laughs> I should have jumped a little higher. Maybe I don't know. Well, everybody should have jumped a little yeah, bit higher, but li- listen, that, that, that's a good jump. Cause I, I have a couple questions, you know, I mean, you guys are the, you know, make the polls and everything. I have a couple poll questions for you, right? Because right. I, I feel like sometimes there's a lot of information out there that's being thrown around. And i, I got to be honest. One, I'm a pole vault coach. I've been coaching for a long time. But I'm not an engineer. I don't engineer poles. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I, I know there's like a lot of people out there that even like uh, flex poles themselves and stuff like that to check the flex numbers. Like, for example, I was actually telling a story to, to Dean Starkey yesterday when I picked him up at the airport, which was super cool to meet Dean. Um, I remember watching him when I was in high school. Um, but I was talking about like this one guy wanted to flex one of my poles in his setup. His setup was like ropes hanging from the ceiling. And then he used a weight that certainly wasn't certified and you know, weight plates could be off, you know? And it was like, the flex number that he got was 0.1 off of what was already on the pole. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, 
that to me sounds like very like negligible. Like who cares? Like yeah. point one. I mean, your setup is different. Maybe you got a point one difference because the setup was different. You know what I mean? It wasn't the way you guys flex it. And so I feel like there's a lot of people doing a lot of things out there. And I'm sure you, you've heard stories of people like you know chopping some some of the pole off the bottom and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one thing that I I've had like a, a struggle because I tend to have a lot of athletes that tend to grip lower on poles, and I have a lot of coaches or athletes say, well, I feel like you know there's a sweet spot. And if you grip it in the sweet spot, which is near the top of the pole, that the athlete will jump higher. I mean, what what do you think about some of that conversation? Um, there's kind of a lot to unpack. There, <laughs> <I think>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, my mind is kind of wandering in a, in a little couple of different ways because I was thinking about the original question in the very beginning of the whole podcast about the history and all that. Yeah, yeah. I never really did directly answer that, but maybe we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, uh, I don't know where to start on this because there's, you know, flex numbers and there's this this idea of a sweet spot or or whatever. Um, I guess what it comes down to is is for us is we're trying to build a pole um, to be consistent and to be reliable and dependable so that when an athlete moves from one pole to the next pole, they know what they're going to get. So right. if it's – I use this example a lot um, because I think it's it encompasses so many things that are um, core to our values and, and then also kind of demonstrate what our ultimate goals are, which is um, to – you know, provide this this level of reliability and consistency, and and the story is that Tiago Braz da Silva was the Rio Rio Olympic Games champion, and um, you know he it came down to, it, was, it was a crazy meet. I mean, it came mm-hmm. down to his last jump, right? Third attempt, he's he's passed some bars. He has to either make this jump and he's Olympic champion, or miss it and he's. He's fourth. He's out of the medals. Yeah, yeah. He's in his home country. And, you know, I can't speak to him, for him, but I can only imagine that. That's like the pinnacle dream of all dreams. Like, right, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I remember literally, like, I'm in, I I actually drove home that day. This laptop that we're using, I had it, like, hooked up oh, to my gosh. hotspot. So it was playing while I'm driving. <laughs> right. And then I got to my kitchen. I That's jumped sick. out of my seat when he made it. But go, go ahead. So, so he's on the back of the runway. He's getting ready to take this jump, and he's jumping on a pole that he's never used before in his life. Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, we're like, that pole has to do what he expects it to do. It has to be exactly, you know, four-tenths stiffer than the pole that he was yeah, just on. right, right, right. And as you know, in the pole vault, it's such a progressive type of an event yeah. that you don't have the opportunity to jump on your ultimate competition poles every day in practice. No, no way. So it happens a lot where you're at... at you know, um, X, Y, Z invitational and, and you got to go to the next pole. You're at a PR jump or, uh, maybe it's a championship jump, not mm-hmm. necessarily PR, but you have to know that that pole is going to be just the next stiffness pole. Right. Cause it, if it happens to be 10 or 15 pounds stiffer, you know, it's yeah. like, that's a problem or if it's off yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, um, so I think, you know, in, in, Tiago's case, obviously, he won the Olympic Games. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it did what it was supposed to do, you know, and um, and that's what we really take pride in is that that we've tested our poles on the same scale, the same flex machine with the same weights, 
since 1987 when the company was started. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just so important that that we're producing the polls in a way that allows that level of consistency and trust. And then we're testing them to know that we're building what we're aiming to build. Well, so, so a couple things that, that you're bringing up that, that are huge there. I, I mean, one, this idea that one, you're not going to be able to jump on your competition poles all the time. I always use like the weightlifting example. Like, let's say your best bench is 225. You can't come into the gym and bench 225 every single day. You sure. will start to fail. And what I think ends up happening, if you fail at 225 enough, you're going to start to be scared of the weight, especially if one day you fail and you hurt your shoulder. Yeah. So same thing. If you come to pole vault practice and your goal is like, we got to get on this pole. Well, one, if your kid gets stood up or rejected, they're going to start being scared of that pole. Mm -hmm. But here's even worse problem. You go to the meet, they're on that pole, they blow through. Yeah, no. What are you going to not go up? Like yeah. you, you have to. It, it's such a progressive thing. It's it, it's very in those terms. It's very. Uh, uh, it relates a lot to like weightlifting. You yeah. know, and just you're progressively going up and trying to find ways to tinker with the technique that will allow you on meat days to hit the biggest pull you can. Well, there's an interesting psychology that you kind of touched touched on there, and I think there's a positive feedback loop mm -hmm. and a negative feedback loop. Right. So if you have negative experiences going up a pole and you come up short, your, your psychology is that when you go up poles, it's a negative feedback. Right. And so it's funny because um, Lane, one of the guys in our office, you know, he, he talks about this a lot where he's like, look, if your kids have a positive experience on the pole, they're never going to have that barrier right. and that psychological fear or right. whatever it may be to go to the next pole because they're they're constantly in a positive feedback loop. Right. So, so they're only going up to poles when they really need to go up to poles. And I think that's another interesting side of the pole vault is that, you know, a lot of people think, well, you have to jump on XYZ pole in order to PR or, or the most common thing that happens or that we see is like, we'll see, we'll be at a meet and a, a guy goes, bombs the bar, makes it by, you know, four or five inches enough height to make the next bar and they say i gotta go up poles uh no not necessarily and, you know you kind of think about well why yeah you know, why and and again it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before you know what's the ultimate goal is it to jump on a 13.2 pole or or a 120 pound pole or whatever it may be or is it to land safely in the pit and make the bar yeah you know and then use the tool the pole that's going to help you best achieve that. Yeah, given the conditions. So, I mean, you bring up another thing that when you were explaining the Tiago story that I think is huge is you know the consistency. I, I know for me, you know, and listen, I've had athletes jump on different manufactured poles, you know, and I think to a certain degree, I feel like poles are poles. But the thing that you know why I keep buying UCS is that that consistency. I have poles that are maybe five, ten years old. If I buy a brand new pole and it's supposed to be five pounds up, it's five pounds up. Like it's it's the right experience, and I know it's going to work. I can't tell you how many times I've been to meets, the pole is literally out of the tube. The kids never touched it. And no issues, you know. Um, I think part of the problem and why I think there are so many misconceptions with polls as far as coaches go is that if – like, and I can't stress this enough, guys. At minimum, 
you, you know, I think you need at least every 10 pounds, if not five. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're purchasing poles. What I think starts to happen is, you know, you have a lot of coaches out there. They might have a boy on a 13160, and then the next pole they have is a 14160. Uh. And so that's a big jump because a 14160, that would be equivalent roughly of a 13180. So it's like that's why that kid has trouble. And so this is why I think even sometimes these things happen where they're like, oh, well, we got to test the pole out in practice mm-hmm. because it's like it's such a big jump. Mm-hmm. And then even I see. You, you know, you brought up the point of someone being on a pole and it's like they had plenty of height, keep everything the same for the next bar, but they go up. Mm-hmm. Well, I've also seen where it's like on a first or second attempt at a bar, big blow through, but because they, they are stuck on that negative feedback loop and they're like, oh, I go up a pole, it's bad. They won't make a, they won't go up a pole. They'll just blow through three straight times at a bar. And it's like you easily could have went up five pounds. But if you don't have the next five pounds, if your next jump is 10, 15, I get it, but this is why I, you know, I feel like if, uh, I think one of the problems with pole vault is there's not enough content out there, not enough information where it's like if people knew this, you know what I mean? Like they might be like, okay, I'm not buying the next 20 pounds. <laughs> I'm going to buy the next five or 10 pounds to make the transition easier for my athletes. I mean, does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, um, you know, obviously if, if money were inconsequential and we could just do whatever, but, right. but I also think too that that we see sometimes the opposite also mm-hmm. where people want, you know, oh. poles that are every like two pounds or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, that it's one of those things that it, it, it each athlete has a different level of progression. Mm-hmm. But my, my point in saying that is, is that, that finding a good balance in, in pole inventory yeah. is sometimes more important than, then if you're going, you know, I want a very consistent, exactly five pounds, so and so and so and so, you know, there's a certain um, balance there where where you don't want to have your your progression super super tight because I, I then agree. you go up a pole and it's it's, it's really, barely going up, it's yeah. negligible, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's not really enough to make a difference, especially when when kids are learning how to pole vault, yeah, because it is such a progressive thing. I mean, it's such an awkward thing to run with a pole vaulting pole. And the first time you see someone pick up a pole, it's so, it's just an awkward thing to get used to that going five pounds is, is not enough. Right. You know, because they're developing so quickly that that they need to make a a different um, transition. Yeah. And I think, I think it becomes tough for coaches because coaches have to keep an eye on that. If you have someone who's like a beginner novice type vaulter, yeah, I think 10 pound jumps are awesome. They're great because, and, and to go to your point about if you, let's say you get it through flex numbers, you're getting like two and a half pound jumps. Yeah. Sometimes that's, that's too tight. Like, you know, someone's just going to blow through on that unless you have someone that's really, really like tweaked out. You know, it's like, I remember one time ordering 13 sevens for a girl that ended up breaking the D3 national record uh, that year. And I had Lane on the phone. Yeah. Her poster's up here. She's, she's over there. She's over there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I remember calling Lane. I'm like, Hey, I have these 13 sevens. I'd like these flexes, you know? And he's like, uh, is this for a boy? I'm like, no, 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 this is for a girl. She's trying to break the D3 record. He's like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and you know, and I, I explained the jumps. I mean, I remember even one time talking to your dad cause I never thought I would have to do this. Right. So I have, you know, the 12 foot line that you guys make and I had every 10 pounds like you guys make. 
And I call up, I have these girls that are 100 pounds, they're five foot tall, and they're all jumping like around 11, 11, six. Yeah. And I'm on the phone with your dad, I'm like, look, I, I just, I really need like five pounds, I need the five pound progression <laughs> for these girls. He's like, well, explain more. And I'm like, well, they're five foot tall, 100 pounds, they all jump like, at the time, I think 10, six, 11. And I'm like, they're just having trouble getting to the next pole. And he's like, Oh, that makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? Cause it's so it, it, it is very nuanced, but for beginner coaches, like you said, yeah, you just have to have a nice pole inventory where at least there's some smooth consistency. It doesn't have to be two and a half pounds. And I totally agree. I feel like so many coaches think if they just get a pole, the kid will magically jump higher. Well, that's another you know? interesting point as well. You know, it's like, what's that saying? It's, uh, it's the Indian, not the arrow or whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And it sounds kind of funny coming from someone who builds and sells poles for a living. Like, right. the pole's not magic. Yeah. You know, the pole is, it, you have, oh gosh, you have a lot of poles. Yeah. But I've those, got 200. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the club is empty today. You know, you yeah. guys have meat. Yeah. But those are just, they're just pipes hanging yeah. on a wall right, right. now. You they know? don't do like anything. It's nothing until an athlete and a coach use it as a pole that it becomes right. a tool. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of, you know, where we come from is that it's a tool to help you, you know, achieve your, your goals and your dreams. And, and to your point, when you have a club, like you do, you have a lot of different athletes and a lot yeah. of different types of athletes. Right. And so you kind of, in a way you have to have an inventory of poles that you can, use for those different types of athletes, right? Like right. the girls that you're describing five foot, a hundred, nothing pounds are going to have a very different pathway than a, uh, a kid like me when I was in high school and I was five, five, a buck 10 soaking wet. Right. 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 But I matured and developed really, really fast. Right. So, you know, all of a sudden, instead of jumping on a 11, six pole, the same year I'm jumping on like a 12 foot pole, you right, know, right, like right. just because I'm growing and I'm getting faster and stronger yeah, and all yeah, these yeah. things are happening. That's very different than some, like a, for example, a, a gymnast girl who's really dialed in, who's, you know, the biggest pole they're ever going to jump on is, is going to be barely about their body weight or whatever. And so it's like, you have to be able to accommodate that. Right. And I think only, only the coach that has those athletes are kind of, has a, a view of, of what types of athletes we're trying to accommodate, mm -hmm. can you start to build a really good series that's going to fit yeah. that, um, mm -hmm. that level? But I think also, you, you know, taking kind of a step back, because a lot of times people will buy poles that don't really make sense just because they're looking only at their next next pole and right. they're not thinking, you know, well, Okay, what about a, how does this fit within the full series of the poles? Right, like, like I almost in my head, right, if I could think of like a starter pack of poles for a beginner high school, right, mm -hmm. coach. Let's say you're just starting a program, it's brand new. I would think it would go something like, I would do 10-pound jumps, you know, just so you can cover enough poles. But I would do like 11, 6, 20, I mean, 11, 6, 110, 11, 6, 20, 12, 20, 12, 30, 12, 40. Then I would go 13, 30. Uh, 1340, 1350, 1360. That's nine poles. I, so I could have fit one more in there, but I feel like that's a nice progression where it's like something like that, you know, you could have the littlest girl to like, you know, beginner boy on, and now you kind of have something started there, you know? Yeah, and that, that kind of series is going to cover the, the 
bulk of high school kids. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, we, a few years ago, I looked at some, um, nationwide data on, you know, what kids are jumping, you know, and I think like the average male vaulter in high school is like 12 feet. Yeah. You know, when we're in the community and we see it all the time and we're always watching pole vault, we think that, you know, high school boys are going to jump 15 feet, you know, no problem. Boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality is, is that that's just not, the numbers don't show that. And I think the girls were somewhere around like 10, six, 11. Yeah. I think it was 10, six or maybe 10 feet. But anyway, the, the point is, is that you know, you can, if you kind of take a step back and you look at it in that way, mm-hmm. like if I'm going to start a brand new program, what are going to be my key pulls? You know, maybe you don't necessarily need to go every five pounds or go yeah. whatever, you know. And you, maybe you don't need a 15180. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think really that's the only way to approach it if in our world that you have a, you know, there's budgetary constraints. You can't, you don't have unlimited access to funds to just buy every every pull out right there. and right. even if you did that may not necessarily be a great approach yeah you know i don't yeah. know it's, it all depends on on the situation right really. right i yeah and and look as far as budget i mean listen i started out as a high school coach and it was crazy i remember uh one of my assi- one of the fellow assistant coaches she's like why are you buying poles just let the school buy them and i was like look you guys are gonna buy one a year mm-hmm. like the girls need them now so i bought four poles that year actually three of them were for the girls one of them was for me uh- <laughs> <laughs> but i, I bought but it out of my own money you know both purposes the yeah girls eventually the girls got on that okay. pole too so um but you know it you know that's sometimes if that's what you really want. That's what you got to do. You know, and there's there's people that that do this all the time. Um, I got to ask this question too, because I, I love when people start throwing around talk about sale pieces. Oh yeah. You know, I'll like going back to kind of what we're talking about, but like. I'll see a coach and he'll talk about his his or her athlete and, uh, you know, the kid doesn't know how to run. Uh, their carry is like all over the place. They're moving their hands. They're flat takeoff. And they're like, ooh, I just got this different pull and the sale pieces here. So that's going to help them get. And I feel like I'm like, all right, you're clearly not teaching running mechanics. Why are we talking about sale pieces? <laughs> you know, can you maybe like demystify a little bit about this sale piece? Because I feel like it's a magical word when coaches talk about it. Where like I feel like you know, should I should you move the sale pieces for my kids, Chris, so that they can just PR three feet and I don't have to do anything? <laughs> what what does that actually mean, a sale piece? Um, well, look, if we could build a pole that was magical, we would for everybody. And of course, we feel like we build the best pole possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, it's it's funny because we get interesting questions in the same vein that are like, mm-hmm. you know, well, can you do this tweak? Can you do that tweak? And you know, uh, well, you guys made special polls for Boobka, or you made special polls for yeah, Rio, yeah. or whatever. And it's like, look, we're going to build the best product possible. It doesn't help us to build a special pole that's better for an elite level athlete and then not sell that product. You know, right, what I mean? right, right, right. Um, but with the sale piece, it's just a, it's a it's a component in the pole. I mean, it's it's part of the way the pole is built. It's the structure of the pole. It's kind of what helps give the pole the shape of the bend. So, okay. so you, when you build a pole, there's there's a couple of different pieces that go into it, and there's a lot of variables. It's a highly technical piece of equipment, I would say, mm-hmm. um, even even though the, the process is fairly simple. Okay. Um, so when you start messing around with one element, whether it's diameter or sail piece or 
you know, amount of material or whatever, that's going to change the dynamic of the way that the pole jumps and feels. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, in the same context, in the same vein of talking flex numbers and things like that, um, each one of those things only tells one part of the story. So, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned guys that flex their pole in a home flex rig, and mm-hmm. I can understand uh, why some people want to do that. Um, and I think it's because they've they've been exposed to inconsistencies, and so they'll go from one pole to the next, and they think it's going to be this, but it turns out that it feels way different. And they're right, like, right, right. Well, what what gives here? So I got to figure this out. And so they you know they want to do that, but well, I can't. And I feel like maybe if you mix and match brands. That's where I think that sure. might even become important, you know, because not every brand flexes the same. Sure. And so, you well, know. that's kind of where I was going is, yeah. you know, I can't take a, another brand pole and flex it on our machine and say, this is an XYZ pole because I don't know how that pole was built. I don't know how the, the material was laid up. I don't know how, where the sail piece is, you know, all that kind of – those elements – are different elements that say, okay, well, it's a 22.2 flex, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to match up with a Spirit 22.2 flex right. because so, they're because built the, differently. Because I, I remember one time you even telling me stuff even about the diameter. You know, we were talking about thicker versus thinner poles and stuff like that and how the feel is different. So mm-hmm. what you're saying is even if it flexes a certain flex, that doesn't mean it's going to feel like this other pole that you jump on that might be a mixed brand. Like exactly. you have a mixed bag of poles. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so for us, when it, you know, when you talk about the structure of the pole or the sail piece, we build the poles in a way that we want to see the pole bend evenly. That means mm. that the bend of the pole, the, the, the bend is distributed across the biggest distance of the pole possible. Mm. And that's twofold. One, for, for um, durability and consistency. But also I think it, that with that approach, it allows vaulters to use different styles or techniques that fit them and still be successful using that pole. So you have a broader spectrum of okay. technical model, and you don't have to change your technical model because the pole is built a certain way. Right. So, like, for example, just because it's easy to, to kind of target elite athletes and, and because their, their pictures and videos are yeah, easily yeah. accessible, Right. Renault has a very different jump than Bubka. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Mondo has a very different jump than... Than the those two, two of them, guys yeah. as well. Uh, Sandy Morris has a very different jump than uh, Katarina Stefaniti. Or right? like Yelena Zimbaeva. So yeah. th- that's a really good example because there's only been three women to jump five meters in the world ever. Yeah. Right? And it's it's Sandy, um, Jen, Schur, and Yelena. Yeah. And they all have very different techniques, but they all jump five meters plus on a spirit pole. Right, right. And so... What what I'm trying to say is for us is is a as a company what challenges us on a day to day is that we're making a pole that allows athletes to pursue whatever technical model they feel is is most effective for them to reach their highest level. Right. And not have to change it because the pole bends a certain way or because this or or because the sail piece is this or the sail piece is that. Right, right, right. I don't know if that makes sense, but... No, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, for me, like what I'm taking out of it, and uh, you know, hopefully this helps people listening, is like because you guys put the sail piece where you do, there's a big even bend and it can service a lot of different type of vaulters. You know, whereas if, if the sail piece was put somewhere else, the pole's going to bend differently, you're saying, right? Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, more or less, sure. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I don't know. I also just as a coach, you know, I feel like a lot of times there there were certain like pull manufacturers or such that would say like, oh, this is an easier pull for girls or something like that. And I always like I I never understood it. You know what I mean? Because to me, it's like a pole is a pole. I don't I don't. There's no like. Hey, look, the pole doesn't you know discriminate. The pole doesn't know right. if it's a if it's a boy or a girl or a lefty or a righty or or whatever. It, it you know, the pole is the pole. And, right. And the 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 pole should the way that the pole bends and the way that 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 happens is is a result of what's happening with the athlete. Right. Right. Kind of like what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So. So if we structure a pole that it's going to bend this way mm-hmm. and then somebody jumps on it differently, I can let, let me use this example. So if we were to build a pole, for example, that bends like, I don't know, super high or whatever. Right. So if an athlete takes a jump and and let's say their tendency is to take – this is getting really kind of in the technical weeds. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Let's say they, they have a really low takeoff. And so when they when they hit the low takeoff and the pole – takes the energy low into the pole and then it transfers the energy to a higher spot and it bends higher. Right. And they have a, a blow through, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as a as a as an athlete, as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to move the pole to the vertical, right? Which means right. that at the takeoff we're trying to take off a little bit higher. Right. So if the athlete has a tendency to have a low takeoff, you're still trying to achieve a higher takeoff. Yeah. So let's say they go up to the next pole after they just blew through. And then on their next jump, they hit a little bit better takeoff, and the pole doesn't transfer the energy from the lower spot to the higher spot because the athlete had a higher takeoff. Well, now all of a sudden they blow through on right. that next pole. Right, right, right. Whereas if the pole, I think, is is structured in a way that, that, that can take an even bend... They're not going to have that big disparity from one jump to the next. Well, thank you. Coffee delivery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you know, so so when you have that disparity, I think it creates an opportunity for inconsistency in the in the vault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or in the in the progression of the vault and the development of the athlete. You yeah. Know what I mean, so so now that's kind of back to the like. In a way, it's almost like a negative feedback because. Right. You know, if I take off high, I'm going to blow through again. I'm going to miss the bar. Now I'm on my third attempt. I got to go up the pole again. Right. And now you're in a tough spot where if if the pole is more consistent and it 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 bends in a more consistent way, then you don't and you, bends you evenly that, throughout the pole. Yeah. You take that kind of chance out of it. Right. 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 Yeah. I, look, I mean, and just for everybody listening, you know, uh, you know, I have about 200 poles. I, I would say like ninety eight percent of them are UCS. What, um, what yeah. about the two percent? There's the other stuff thrown in there, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I, my experience level is with UCS polls, and and the thing that I've always enjoyed is that I've never you know had an issue. I mean, I've had kids where it's like, all right, like like last year um, we had sectionals, so I had this line of twelve sevens, but I only had one line of twelve sevens. So at the one meet, I only had 12s and 13s. This one girl had never jumped on 13s, but she blew through the 1250. You know, she was gripping 11.6. We went to a 13.35, and it was no problem. So that's one thing that I always in, enjoy as a coach, and it allows me to just, like, kind of focus on, like, keep teaching the athlete. Um, 
I, if anybody else has some opinions on maybe other brands or something like that, would love to hear from you guys, uh, s- see what you think. Um, but I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. And if if something is is I feel like if the pole is almost like tweaked too much to for a specific jump, you're going to have a tough time coaching many different athletes. Sure. You know. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's that kind of goes back to the point that I was trying to make earlier is, you know, you shouldn't have to adjust your technical model to work with the pole. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. Right. You should you should be able to vault with the technical model that you feel is going to be most appropriate for you as an athlete cuz all athletes are made up a little bit differently and you should be able to use whatever technical model you feel appropriate yeah. and take the pole element out of it. You right. shouldn't have to think about, well, this pole feels this way and this pole feels that way when I jump on this one. Yeah. It should be something that you go, bang, I'm going to work on X, Y, Z because that's what I can control. That's my my deal and and that's that's how you progress and get better yeah. is by working on yourself. Well, I, as a coach and, and, you know, at the club we have a certain program. We have a, a lot of other coaches that, that help out too and work at the club. Um, that's a big thing. We want to teach where the athlete is focused on themselves and what they are trying to do. I don't want the athlete thinking about the pole. Yeah. If you're thinking about the pole, that's like we're, we're on the, not on the same page. You know what I mean? Or thinking about the wind or thinking about the pit yeah, or thinking yeah. about this or that. Like, you know, you can only and, – and besides the point – the amount of work and effort that it takes to zero in on your run mechanics, your takeoff, your plant, you really, if you're trying to chase a certain pole or a certain feel or a certain thing in the pole, I think you get into a, a situation where you, you, you kind of are distracted from what, what matters. Yeah, well, and, and so how about this? So let's say you're chasing a certain feeling in the pole. And I love it. Everybody shows me like this cover position. You know, they got their hands on their ankles. They're like, dude, I got in this cover position. Dude, I just felt it. That pole just popped me off the top. I'm like, what'd you jump that day? Oh, I didn't PR. <laughs> I'm like, what's the point? Who cares about the feeling if, if it's not producing an outcome? Um, I want to change gears just for even maybe like five more minutes because we don't yeah. have a lot more time. But um, a couple things. One, obviously I think the Reno Pole Vault Summit is amazing. You know, it's, it's a really great experience. I, in my dream world, you know, like where I imagine like what things could be, I would imagine a Reno Pole Vault Summit several times a year and like <laughs> most pole vault competitions being more like that. You know, it's just such a great time. I, I think the atmosphere is amazing. The energy is amazing. And I, I just, I wish there was a way that we can kind of go towards that and, and kind of, you know, you're, you're here in Jersey today because, uh, you know, USA is at Staten Island. Chris, I can't tell you, I'm a little bit disappointed uh-oh. There was like barely any marketing for the USA National Championships. Oh, I mean, none really? of my kids, neither me uh, either, have seen one ad on Instagram or Facebook for USAs. And I mean, if they had marketed I mean, we're in the local area. Yeah. We follow pole vaulting and track and field yeah, on yeah. social media. We would have seen those we ads. target them. Yeah. And it's so I, I'm just a little bit shocked. I feel like sometimes like I feel like as a track community, we sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot. You know what I mean? Because this is so amazing. I mean, tickets are $15, people. $15 to go see the best athletes in the country. And, you know, it's like I, I'm going to make a post today about it and, and to just let my club kids know and anybody in the area that, hey, USAs are in town. Like, you should go out and check out these people jumping. Um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how you know, 
I mean, if in five minutes you could solve the track world problems, yeah. you know, <laughs> please do. Well, look, I mean, you and I have talked before about, I like to use the term casual viewer, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I think track and field as a whole, I think we get caught up in the, you know, like you asked my PR before mm-hmm. and it, it's, you know, 543, like, I mean, that's a centimeter, 543, like big deal, you know? Right, right. Um, when you talk to like a casual viewer, somebody who's not familiar with pole vault or not familiar with track and field, they're like, well, what is like, you know, what is that? Like they don't right. really care about the three quarters of an inch. Right. I think we get so caught up in, in the times and the, the quarters of an inch and the hundredths of a second that sometimes we, we forget that people just want to see a, a competition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, with the pole vault summit, because you brought it up, um, you know, our, our goal and effort with that event is to just create a positive environment and engage athletes and coaches and parents into this world that has obviously impacted my entire family and has created great opportunities for a lot of people um, and to kind of get them involved in the community. Um, it's a shame to hear that, that there weren't more um, ads out there in the local area to get more people to come to the event. Yeah, yeah. Um, here at USA's, uh, so that's that's a little disappointing. Um, but I think I don't know. I, it's interesting because track and field is such a broad participatory sport. Right, right, right. You know, there's so many people that do it. It's like I think it's the number two per- most participated sport in high schools. Yeah. Um, so people are familiar with track and field. I think. It's just a matter of trying to capture the attention and engage people and draw them into the event. Yeah. Um, well, one, one thing we were talking about before the podcast started, you know, is, you know, I almost I, – I feel like track is sometimes marketed in the same way as circus is. You know, we talk about, like, come out and see the strong man. Come, come see the lion tamer. And it's like, we're like, come out and see the guy jump 19. Come out and see the, the, the yeah. you know, the woman run sub 11 seconds, you know. And the thing is, as a fan, so now you get a ticket, you go to this meet, and if the 19 guy doesn't jump 19, you're disappointed. Yeah. And I feel like what needs to be marketed is more like, hey, come out and see, you know, Trey Oates versus Scott Houston as sure. USA's this weekend. Like, who's going to win, you know? And it's like, and... My, by the way, guys look gorgeous. They're beautiful looking men. I mean, why are their faces not on posters? You know, well, yeah. it's like that's what what should be sold. And then it's like then the fans can get behind that. And no matter what the marks are, you know what? Yeah. Honestly, we could like change the rules real quick and be like, all right, you guys are only allowed to go from one left. Let's yeah, see yeah. who jumps high. Well, like, you know, it's funny <laughs> you say that. And to kind of capitalize on yeah. that straight pull thing, we've yeah. talked about in the in years past, kind of jokingly, yeah. but with the summit, like we should do an elite straight pole competition yeah and see yeah, yeah. like you know what 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 the guys and gals can do on a straight pole but you know it's funny because you know we're talking about usa's and stuff but i'm also equally excited to go to the the it's, they call it the meet of champions right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so we we'll go check that out tomorrow morning too and um i think sometimes we just miss that opportunity to really bill the competition right, right? the head-to-head kind of the these yeah. guys are going to go at it they're going to compete who's going to come out on top whether right. they pr or not you know, yeah. I mean, it's inconsequential, well, right? Really. And 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 here's the thing. Like, I mean, this year's Super Bowl was kind of a boring game. Was right, not exciting. Game ever. Yeah, like but 
everybody was super excited to see, okay, is Tom Brady winning another one? Right. And he did. Like, why? I mean, and yeah. that that's what becomes a story instead of boring game. You know, right. it's like we're not, like, all sitting there going, oh, my God, I can't believe it wasn't, like, 45 to 50. You know, like, whatever. And so it's like building up the competition aspect it, it holds so much more value. I mean, even in basketball right now, right? People like to talk about it, like who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan, you know? And and you can have that uh, controversy and that that talk, but really at the end of the day, you know what's going to matter this year? Who wins the finals? Yeah, well, and you You know, know? the funny thing about that is I'm not a a basketball watcher. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to watch back in the day and stuff, and I was in the Jordan era. It's remarkable to see LeBron James play too, but – the sad thing is we're never going to see him head off, head to head. Right. And that's kind of what, what I'm kind of talking about is how, you know, I like that watching, you know, for a long time for UCS, I would cover the, the D3 meets and I still do from time yeah. to time. But, um, you know, obviously they're not as high a marks as D1. Right, 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 right. But the competition is just as fierce. Yeah. It's just as exciting. Yeah, I mean, you you were there when my guy won because he was perfect. He had zero <laughs> yeah, misses. Zero misses. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's why he Which won. Which was crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, but it was still a very high level. Yeah. 18 feet. Like, that's yeah. a great ball. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I think I think sometimes, you know, the height is, is inconsequential. That's just kind of part of the... The journey and the path. I mean, when we talk about the elites, it's always exciting because we're like, oh, well, what's the world record? You know, are they going to break it? And that, yeah, that's that's all great. But you know, is uh, you know, who's going to come out on top? Like, yeah, you know, what's yeah. going to happen? I think I that's know. the story that that needs to be focused on, and and I think part of it too becomes where. I think we have to be more open to talk about these things. I feel like sometimes it's like it's almost like, oh, if you didn't jump super high, you're not allowed to talk about technique. Yeah, you're not allowed to talk about results. And it's like, no, like this is part of the fun of watching sports, right? Like me and you get to sit back after the Super Bowl and be like, oh, man, I can't believe the Rams didn't, you know, run, them all, run the ball more with Todd Gurley, yeah. you know? It's like – and we don't get criticized for saying yeah. that. What you do know? they say? Uh, like it's easy to be a Monday – Monday morning, Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback. Monday morning quarterback. Yeah. But that's – I mean that, but that's kind of part of it. Right, like you don't have to be a great athlete to understand the mechanics of the ball. Yeah, right? like Petrov is one of the you know uh, arguably one of the best coaches um, in the game. Yeah, so and, he obviously jumped what like twenty one feet or right. something. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, he I I don't even know if he ever pole vaulted. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you know, and and I don't know. He, it's silly, I think, you know, because... So I, I have an idea of how to solve all the problems. Are you ready? Yeah. I think you should be in charge of track and field in America. <laughs> yeah, right. And you'll fix everything, Chris. No, st- uh, the poles are hard enough, man. They're <laughs> <laughs> having a hard enough time with that. But yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely something that we, we love and, and we've obviously been involved in for a long time. And um, we're very, very proud to say that, um, you know, we're the only company in the market right now or ever really mm-hmm. that has a direct line to the invention of the fiberglass pole and the development yeah. of the fiberglass pole. And, um, you know, that's in large part due to, to my grandfather and what his interests were. And, um, it's really, it's a great story and I'm not always great at telling it. Um, but that's why we're trying to put it down on paper yeah. and, and get it going. But, um, in short to kind of bring things full circle, um, he started Pacer which is now one of Spirit's main competitors. Right. Um, and when I talk about my grandfather, it was my mom's dad. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our story is part um, 
pole vault track and field history and part love story and all these other things. But, um, so he started Pacer and he got involved with Herb Jenks, um, actually before he started Pacer Mm -hmm. or actually when he started Pacer, he was the sole distributor of the catapult, which was the second iteration of the first fiberglass vaulting pole. Mm -hmm. First it was sky pole and then it was, it was catapult. And then, um, he was selling those, those catapults and then, Herb Jenks, the inventor, um, he had another idea for another pull, and he wasn't all that happy with the company that he was working with, and, and my grandfather and he kind of um, came up with this idea and a plan to partner, and mm. my grandfather had sold his business to AMF, and it was AMF Pacer at the time, and okay. AMF was a company that was a huge conglomerate. They owned Hatteras Yachts and Harley-Davidson and okay. AMF Bowling and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things, and so when Herb came over to AMF, they developed the Pacer 3, mm. and uh, and then Herb was a, he was an inventor and an engineer by, by personality, by trade, and and that's what he was really interested in. So he developed a whole bunch of composite materials products. He was the first guy ever to, I think he still hold. you know, he had the patent on a fiber, uh, composite fiber tennis racket. He built mm-hmm. one of the very first carbon fiber bicycle frames. Mm-hmm. Um, he built a fiberglass diving board that stayed, is still like world renowned. Um, he was really instrumental in the in the ski market and the ski business. He developed fiberglass vault, um, skis, mm-hmm. so they were doing all this stuff under the AMF brand. Um, and then AMF as a whole was bought up and pieced out. And that's when that's when Gill bought Pacer. And then my dad, uh, my grandfather had passed away by this point. My dad was running um, the Pacer division of AMF yeah. and. Um, he had a different idea for the vaulting pole and a different idea of, of how it should be. And, yeah. and he and Lane developed the, the spirit vaulting pole yeah. technology that we use today yeah. in 1987. And it's funny because a lot of people criticize spirit and they say, oh, well, you know, it's old technology or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I like to say, well, we were just 30 years ahead of our time. <laughs> I mean, well, you I, know, but um, yeah. So anyway, they... They developed that and, and and kind of what I was talking about before with the consistency and the and the way that the pole bends and all those factors. Um, it really truly is. It, it was far ahead of its time. I mean, there's only been two guys that have jumped 20 feet, both yeah. on spirit vaulting poles. Um, the women, again, you know, the five meter mark. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because all these all these brand poles come out with the latest and greatest thing, but at the end of the day, you need something that you can rely on and is consistent and will perform at a very high level. And now, you know, we've, we've got this guy on a skateboard jump 517, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, it's just a, it's been a crazy development and path. And, and I still think that, that the pole as it is today could easily eclipse 620. Um, yeah. You know, I think back in the day they had some Boobka biomechanics that he'd been over like 525 on some yeah. of his world record yeah. marks and yeah. stuff. So, um, you know, it's there's nothing more exciting than for us than to watch people, you know, using our product to do yeah. great things. You know, whether it's the high school meet or the U.S. championships yeah. or well, I, Olympic level. Definitely over the years, you know, I, I definitely I, I know your family is very very passionate, and very invested in the vault, and you know, I even. I know even myself, I mean, not even at close to the scale that you guys do it, but, you know, sometimes people don't realize how tough it is to manage something like, one, just 
getting these polls made, shipping them out, and then something like the Reno Povolt Summit, you know? Mm-hmm. The fact that you guys want to do that is amazing, and it's it's really great for the sport. Um, well, it's, and it's, it's I'm just, very thankful that, that, you know, you guys do that stuff. Well, it doesn't happen without people uh, doing it at the local level and doing what, what you're doing with, with kids because if you're not out here on the grind day-to-day, nobody's going to come to the summit. There's no one to yeah. come. But um, the event, the summit event, Developed and, and evolved because my dad and Lane saw um, kind of a void, really. And, and they had a network of people that they could get access. That's what they had. Mm-hmm. And so they said, you know what, let's share this. You know, we, we need to be stewards of the event and stewards of the sport and, uh, and use the tools that we have to help grow the event because mm-hmm. if it's good for pole vaulting it's going to be good for us yeah. you know and and that's ultimately what it is we have this shared passion that um we want to we want to try to see carry forward yeah. and, and that's why we like to support local clubs like yours and um, the event as a whole yeah well for sure. thanks for being on the podcast uh is there yeah. anybody who's interested in following ucs what what's the instagram how can, how can oh they... sure yeah so we have two um there's ucs underscore spirit um, and that's the main corporate one that has all the um, all the equipment that, that UCS makes, the pits. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, they, they're kind of doing the hurdles and all the other equipment as well as the poles. And then we have spirit poles fly high. Yeah, that, that's, and that's yeah. Um, that one. We started to basically tell the story and and just kind of be more geared towards um, the pole vault community. Um, so you can follow us at those two, and I really appreciate you taking the time. And nope. looking forward to seeing you again maybe tomorrow at that meet of champions. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and I'm definitely going to swing by USA's, so I'm, I'm excited. Cool. And uh, for anybody out there, you have any questions or comments, it's apexvaulting at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the Real Apex Vaulting, and we're Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and LinkedIn. All right. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody.